It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hey everyone and welcome to Doing Good. I'm your host Carmen Herbert and we have back on the podcast today the amazing Laura Brotherson who is a marriage counselor, sex therapist, author of And They Were Not Ashamed and knowing her intimately and has this incredible course for women, right, about sexual wholeness for women on her website. Can you tell us a little bit about that and refresh us, Laura? Yeah, sure. That's strengtheningmarriage.com is my main website. And that's just a course to help women walk through the 12 12 dimensions of what creates sexual wholeness for women. So it's super awesome so that women that maybe aren't going to go see a sex therapist, they can still dig in and figure out all those all those pieces in the privacy of their own home or with their spouse with them yeah. too. So last time you were on the podcast, we talked mostly about that sexual wholeness for <clears throat> women and, yeah. and all of the steps that goes through us, like the stars aligning so we can <laughs> relax and enjoy it and how it's a wonderful sacred thing that we shouldn't be ashamed of. We should embrace our right. sexuality so we can have a sex extraordinary marriage, which is yeah. a little catchphrase that I love so much yeah. Yeah, totally. today. We want to dig in, um, about men and their sexual wholeness. Talk about ways that we can um, help them. Um, and it's a little bit different than women. Yeah. A little bit more about, um, I would say, the bridling their passions. And and something you said last time was really amazing. You said, uh, you talked about duty sex, how women yeah. feel like if their husbands don't have sex, they get grumpy after a couple, some, some, some couples experience that after yeah. a couple days. And it's not their fault. It's like just how their bodies are wired. Like if they don't have that release, um, it's like they just start to get agitated and frustrated and you know, Oh, he, he might need some sex and whether or not we're in the mood, we, we do that cause we know, okay, then he won't be grumpy. So sometimes we, when we do that, you call it duty sex that we just do it to get it over with. So, but really it doesn't end up being fulfilling for either one of us. Right. Because then he feels like we don't want him that we're doing it out of obligation. So he's not really turned on and we don't really want to do it because we're not in the mood. So you talk about men being able to be patient and wait on their wives. And when they do that, oh, then when they come together, it's so much more amazing. So let's talk a little bit about men and sexual okay. wholeness for them and how yeah. it differs from women and why Heavenly Father made us so completely different and to complicate yes. this whole yeah. thing. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like we, we mentioned last time where I really think the Lord was thinking about wholeness for both husband and wife. Wholeness for couples. Wholeness for couples when he created sex. Because initially I was like, okay, what in the heck is the deal here? What was he thinking? What is going on? But but there really is a, a real wisdom and divinity to men having to kind of work on bridling their passions and developing sexual self-mastery and harnessing that God-given sexual drive, which is wonderful. Um, But for them to kind of be working on that, while women are kind of doing the almost the opposite kind of work where we're kind of working on developing it and and nurturing it and and you know, digging into it and learning how to enjoy it and, and embrace it. Yes. And so it's a very opposite process again, that, and that can be flipped if we're talking the opposite high desire spouse or low desire spouse, it can be reversed, but this is just a general, you know, gender stereotype 
situation for most couples, you know? Yes. But it, yeah, go for it. Oh, no. So I was just going to say what, if you have the, the I, w- I will say typical because some yep. women are different and some men right. are different. Right. But if you have kind of the typical yep. men that's like high drive and woman that has to work for it. Yep. I would, I, I, I feel almost guilty when I'm like, but you have to wait, but I don't want to, but be patient that that's like withholding it. So what's the difference between like withholding and saying, no, I don't want to. And like feeling like I'm controlling it or right. truly saying, let's just wait until we're both there so we can both be fulfilled together. Right. And that's what I call a sex ordinary marriage. That's a woman who has embraced her develop- her sexuality. She owns it as part of her wholeness. It's not a to-do item that she does for her marriage or for her spouse. And so when, when a husband comes to a, a, you know, embraced sexuality wife and says, you know, Hey, do you want to tonight? And she's like, uh, I, I am so spent today. I don't think I've got the wherewithal to do the steps to get to, I want to. Yes. And, and so, and it's a very shared, easy, experience. When a woman is not embraced and developed her sexuality and a husband has not, you know, mastered and bridled his sexuality, then it's more of a, you never want to, and you're never in the mood. And, and she's feeling like, oh my gosh, he always wants to. And I just, I hate it. And she doesn't even know that the reason why she doesn't want to is she's four steps away from the feeling of right. desire. She needs some of that emotional warm-up and then physical warm-up. So she doesn't even know that stuff. And so that's why everything then feels sort of manipulative and controlling because it's kind of like a woman walks around feeling like I'm never in the mood. Right. Yeah. Because she's not. If we go off of that basic wiring, when you don't understand the the divine wiring of a woman. Yes, exactly. So so we talked about last episode, how we can get in the mood, how, what do men want? Like, how right. can we help our men feel sexually fulfilled too? And that they're not like always waiting, like little puppy dogs following us right. around waiting right. for us to get in the mood. Right. And so if we're just talking to the wife, for example, and we kind of leave men out of it, I, I'm a, as a marriage and family therapist, I'm a systems theory person. So I'm a relationship focused person, which means that if I, as the wife change, I'm going to change my marriage, whether my husband does anything or not. So yes. it's not the, it's not the, it takes two and you both have to do it. It's not like that. It just, it's never a hundred percent like that. Never where you're both working at it usually at the same time with the same intensity. So for a woman, now we're just saying, okay, wives, let's step into those 12 keys of the, you know, the knowing her intimately and my sexual wholeness uh, course, where you are embracing and developing your sexual self. I mean, because really sexual development is self-development. Right. And, And so, you know, she's stepping into those things so that she is having her own sexual self, her own sexual interests and drive and wantingness. And so she doesn't just do sex for her husband. She does sex because she loves her husband and wants to connect with him and wants to feel sexual passion even. Yes. Right. Your own desires. Right. That's a whole different animal that most women don't come at naturally. Most of us have to kind of figure that out. And that's what I help them with. And so for, for men, what would yeah. you say is the most important thing for them 
to um, to help either maybe get their wives in the mood or, or be understanding and patient as they get in the mood? Or how how do you bridle your passions if you're like, right. I'm married and this is what we should be doing. And what do you mean be patient? Like how long is that going to take? Like what right. do you tell men? Yeah. And and so the balance for these two, the, you know, and I, in fact, I woke up the other morning, I was like, okay, I need to create another diagram that kind of explains this, but it's kind of like, you know, where women are over here embracing and developing their sexuality, men are over here developing this sexual self-mastery, this strong se- sense of self, this strong self. And so when you're doing, so a couple of the steps, you know, I have kind of a, a, you know, multiple steps for this, but I just thought I would simplify it and give you kind of four steps for men to develop this sexual self-mastery. And it's, it's just the kind, you know, one of the first easiest steps for most men is that they usually are starting from place of a bit of a frustration. They've got some anger, they've got some resentment, they've got some, you know, real, sometimes even shame around sexuality too. They feel this is a big part of what I talk about in the husband book that I'm working on, but just men don't get affirmed for their sexuality either. They get shamed. In fact, women don't get affirmed, but men actually get shamed. That's very true. I completely agree with that. And so when you've got a young boy and a man, even into marriage, I mean, I was working with a client the other night and I mean, they've been married, I think 40 years and still a big part of our conversation was around the sexual shame that he feels about kind of like, and, and, and then what happens is these men then need their wives to affirm them. Right. And that's, and, and that's great, but it puts them in this, you know, victim enmeshed, emotionally enmeshed, codependent kind of a space, which makes it impossible for her to freely want him because he needs it so much. Yes, exactly. You know, And so when, when, you know, for this, this husband that I was talking to, you know, it's like, we've got to kind of un, de, kind of unenmesh from needing this affirmation and, um, kind of commendation about your sexuality from your wife. That's really not her job. That's something that needs to come from the Lord and from self. And so that's, that's the one piece a lot of people leave out of the sexual development process, you know, is it's the Lord that's the only one that affirms it. And I use the analogy for him. I said, it's kind of like, um, um, body image issues for women. Yeah. If a woman does not feel sexy or attractive herself. There's almost nothing a husband can say. No, to really it's true. that. Yeah. So it's the same for men. If a man doesn't kind of clean out all of his kind of sexual shame and his sexual ups, frustration and resentment and bitterness about sex, because, you know, they've been married 10, 15, 20, 30 years of unsatisfying duty sex. He's not a, he's not a, he's not thrilled about that either. So he's got to clean all that out because sex starts also in the mind for men. And mm-hmm. so if they've just are in this constant needy, hungry dog syndrome that I call it, yeah, then, then it makes it really difficult for the wife to be able to respond in a positive way. So that kind of brings us to that first step for a lot of men is just to spend a few, a few minutes sitting there or, or more than a few minutes usually and write out a, like 50 things that you hate about sex, that you're frustrated about sex, that you're frustrated about your sexual relationship, that you're frustrated about your wife. She never wants to, she won't wear lingerie, she won't read your book, all these things. 
and you clean that stuff out so that you can get back to kind of that solid, secure self. That's kind of a step one. That's that step one. Yes. And when do you think that step starts? Do you think it starts in, in childhood and early adulthood, like with the whole shaming thing, like feeling like I'm feeling all these sexual feelings, right. but it's bad, but it's wrong, but you shouldn't, but you're weird, but it's right. gross. I have four boys ages six to 12 and I'm watching their development. And some of them I can see right off the bat are more like, she's beautiful. Look what she's wearing. Like they're, they recognize and some are more quiet or timid and will say, Hey, did you talk to so-and-so? And they'll get bright red. No, and they don't want to talk about it. And I can already see maybe how they'll respond right to that in the future so w- when do you think that starts and how yeah. can we as parents help tell them these sweet boys like you are not bad or weird or gross or wrong it's wonderful and beautiful and god-given and needed and it's yeah. okay to feel these feelings without making them feel like what's wrong with me if i'm turned on or i think someone's prettier yeah thinking of, especially when they're teenagers and it really is on the brain so much. Yep. Yep. For sure. I mean, a lot of what you said is, is perfect because it, it kind of does start from the very beginning. I mean, think about even, even the way a a parent or a mother responds to diaper changing that, Mm -hmm. that sets the beginning tone. That's the very first tone, but, but it really is about um, parental development in order to do good sexual development in a child. Because if Carmen kind of has her crap together about sex and about sexuality and about, you know, feelings and hormones and and stuff like that, then she's going to respond to her boys in a way that's just a little bit more calm, cool, collected, and it's it's non-shaming. So they don't pick up as much of it, at least from you. They are going to still pick up some from other places, from society, maybe sometimes at church. I mean, you're, you're dealing with humans, you know, they right. just, they don't always say the right things. Right. And, and we still, unfortunately, are not great at having more of an affirming, positive um, attitude and, and feel about sex. We have a little bit more of a shaming, uh, fear-based thing. And and this is why I have such an important kind of mission is because just the fact of people not speaking about it, sends shame. It's true. It's the feeling of shame. If nobody will ever talk about it and if people get all weird when the subject comes up or they, they have some weird squeamish response to that topic, we're, then we're planting shame and squeamish seeds all the time. So it starts with the parents and, 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 and with their parents, you know, how right. we were raised right. and clearing all that out. Right. And, and it's wonderful. It's right. A few weeks ago, my little seven-year-old came up to me and he's like, I just really want to know how babies come out of you. And I was like, oh, and I was eating dinner and I'm like, I'm not in the, I'm not in the mood to talk about this because he knows when he turns eight, we get to have the the talk with him, the sex talk. So he's like, just give me a little bit before then. Yeah. And he's my most curious, yep. like, uh, notices things, notices yeah. girls and their body parts and what they're wearing. And he's so observant. He said, how do babies come out? So I just thought I'm going to tell him. Yep. So I told him in, in simple but straightforward terms, here's how it happens. And he said, and what is your private part called again? Because it's different than mine, right? Yep, this is what it's called. And he said, and then where do they eat? They eat from my breasts. What are they called? They're called nipples. And and I'm just saying it. Yep. After 
he gave me the biggest hug and he said, mom, thanks for telling me that. And then ran off and played. And I'm like, oh my goodness. That's it. He had been thinking about it. And the more I was like, no, no. Then he was like obsessing. So finally, when I said, okay, I'm going to tell you. And and he was mature enough to say, okay, I was really curious. And I'm so glad you told me. He gave me a big hug. Thank you. Walk and away. I thought, okay, I need to not be so like, ah, I don't know and why. And it, it's not weird. It's, it's, it's life. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's how life was made. It's the whole purpose. Yeah. And, and, but it was kind of a breakthrough moment with me and him that I thought, okay, for him, he's the child that needs it straightforward yeah. as is here's yeah. how it is for yeah. him to be like, okay. And some of my other ones, they're like, tell me, but but I need to kind of process it for a minute. Yep. Like I don't yep. maybe need it quite so blunt. And him, yep. I'm like, the more blunt I can be, the better it is for him. Yeah. So it's kind of different. Figuring yeah, for that sure. out with how for your sure. kids respond. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, one of the topics that we'll talk about a little bit more about, you know, teaching kids and preparing yes. kids. I mean, there's kind of what I call five minimum times to talk to your kids about sex. And we can talk about that in, the, in a second. No, but- no, I'd love to. But basically it's, it's just, you are going to have kind of some of these main times, like you talk about it at the age, age of accountability or age of eight, you know, and, and that's kind of a big time. It's just not the only big time and it kind of needs to not be too big of a big time because we freak people out. Right. It kind of just needs to be like, Hey, yeah, we're going to go out for ice cream and we're going to talk about some fun stuff and blah, blah, blah. And make it a kind of a no big deal thing. Because again, it's just a balance for each personality and each child between it's special and cool, but it's not a big deal. It's just casual and no big deal. Yes. So age eight. So so the five times are before school. Before Before school. school. So preschool age. Before school. Because if you don't talk at least about the good touch, bad touch stuff, then then you're missing a really important point. That's, I mean, before they're out on a bus, before they're kind of almost with babysitters, before they're at school, I mean, that's the before school time. You've got to at least hit. And remember, Carmen, all of these topics... All of these conversations are very different conversations. Yeah. You've got a very different child at a very different stage of development for each of these important times. Yeah. And so that before school is one, okay. before, you know, before the age of accountability, which is okay. kind of your sort of big talk, yep. but it's not really because you're, there's a ton more stuff you're going to talk about later than so then. Much more. And they've, so and they more. really, they're not really grass. No, yeah. They're not ready for more before, before puberty, huge one. Okay. So before, like 12-ish, 13. 12-ish. Yeah. So that, because so that would be me coming up again then with yeah, my oldest. Well, for sure. And because you've got a lot of different material that needs to be covered at different times. True. So, so there's your before puberty. And then number four is before dating. And number five is before marriage. Those are the have tos in my book. Okay. And and in my in my first book, and they were not ashamed, that's the last three chapters of my book. Okay. I walk parents through how to prepare what to do, what to say, what to do, what to teach, how to do it. I mean, that's just an example of, of, you know, what, what that process is. Yes. If you haven't had this little impromptu conversation, you're going to be a little weirder when you have the real talk, you just practiced, you just role played. That's one of my steps practice saying some of these words in front of a mirror so that they don't feel so weird to you. Are you a fan of anatomically correct? Oh, for sure. 
Okay. Yeah, for sure. For so sure. not pee pee or bum bum yeah. or things like right. you penis, yeah. vagina, real yeah. the words. Okay. Yeah. Because otherwise that? it's weird. Otherwise you, because then, then it's kind of like, well, what we use the word, we use an elbow. We, we say nose. We, we say ear. Why, why do these certain parts have a weird name, but none of the others do? Oh, interesting. Because okay. It makes it kind of, we, we're trying to make it just normal, healthy, you know, sexual wholeness. We're, we're preparing our young people for sexual wholeness. Got and, it. That and, makes sense. and so you do need to kind of be more prepared for those impromptu conversations yes. because those five, those five times are just a little bit more official, but, but all of these other little questions and conversations and something that happened on the school bus and something that happened that they saw on a TV show. And you've got to be kind of prepared for all of that. For sure. And they do. And I know that like my elementary school kids, they're all right now, they're K246. And they will come home from school and say, someone said something, someone did something. My son who has a phone now, but it's a gab wireless, so he can't get pictures or anything. But he had a little friend text him and say, Google this picture and tell me what you see. And he came up to me, bless his heart. And he said, I just got this text from a friend that told me to go, which he doesn't have access to the internet, but wanted him to go to a computer or a tablet or something and find it and tell him a scary image. And I was, I could not believe it. I, I knew it was coming. Yeah. I knew at some point, like this is going to happen, but my sweet 12 year old, my sixth grader, and, and he came to me and I was so grateful, but I thought, oh my goodness, it's so important for us to be so diligent. And, yeah. and what are you seeing? And what are you talking about? So, so we can make it when those times come, it's not, the weird and the ooh and the scary, it's okay, now Now, how do we bring it back? And that's my next question for you, Laura, is yeah. how do we bring it back to, but that is a twisted version of reality. Right. That is not right, but but it doesn't mean sex is bad. Sex is still wonderful and good. How do we do that when they're like, ew, but this seems so weird and scary to me? You just did it, Carmen. What you did is exactly it. You just use your words, you just communicate, and you just believe that yourself. Because again, <clears throat> we've got so many parents, that was kind of my initial you know, drive was helping parents get their crap together first. Because when parents can kind of figure that stuff out, then when they talk to these kids about this stuff, they don't have all their own garbage seeping out. You know, and so if you've got, you know, if a mother does think sex is crappy and hates it in her own marriage, then think about how she's going to answer that kind of question. That's true. It, yeah. Even even if she says the right words, she might she's going to have a little bit of a an undertone. True. Going to feel. I mean, that's kind of for me. I, I you know, and I've had so many clients say, "Yeah, I picked up from my mom this undertone that sex was a duty and it's not something enjoyable and something you just put up with and endure." And so, so many of us have picked up that, even if our parents have never taught us that. Yeah. Yes. And it's not like they ever say that out loud, sort of. But so, so that's why a big part of it is, and that's why one of the chapters is all about just parents kind of getting their own kind of understanding together, cleaning out a little bit of their own stuff, developing some relationship with your kids. Because if you have kind of strained relationships in your marriage is one, but if you have strained relationships with your kids, then it's going to be less likely that those kids will come to you with those questions in the first place. Right. That's true. To have and when you ask, they won't answer. Exactly. That's true. 
is do you think there's an age where um so growing up in my family my parents were very open with me and no question was off limits like yeah. we could ask them anything anytime and they were they'll probably hate me for saying this but they were like if i were to run into their bathroom to use some hairsprays i was late for school and my dad was in the shower my mom was getting ready it wasn't don't look we're naked it no. was like hey grab your thing and go out i mean i and yep. So Perfect. I saw my parents naked, like my whole life and, and they were modest. They're like, Oh, I'm taking a shower. Oh, I'm, I'm yep. getting dressed, but it yep. wasn't like, don't look ever. Yep. So yeah, I never calm response. Yes. A calm response is all about is, is everything you need to remember. So do you think like my boys, same thing, like I'm in the shower in the bath and they'll walk in for something and then, oh, and they, like my older ones, especially are like, oh, mom's not dressed. So they'll go out. But like my little ones are like, can I take a bath with you? You know, still, yeah. Yeah. do you think there's an age where you say, oh, you shouldn't be naked around your kids or your kids shouldn't be naked around you? Because even, even my older boys, if they're like, mom, my, I, I have something that's hurting on my penis and they'll show me. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll say, oh, go ask dad. Cause Cause he has one and I don't. So I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know if that's normal. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's bad. He has that's cute. You do. So, that's cute. so, but, but I'm never like, ew, yuck. And I was like, oh yeah, let's ask dad about it. But is there an age where you feel like, oh, that's, you shouldn't be doing that. They shouldn't be seeing you or you shouldn't be yep. seeing them. Or is it, is it kind of whatever you're comfortable with in your family? It's, it probably has more to do with the personality of the child because okay. I think that the overarching concept that I would go with is when that starts to be noticeable to the child. Yes. And as a mom, you know when that starts to be something they notice. Yes. So when that occurs, I think that's probably a good time to provide a little bit more of that privacy because otherwise you're technically providing um, – sexual stimulation. Right. That you don't want to be. Right. Because so, they notice now. Right. So when they notice and they do accidentally walk in or whatever, you just, like you said, calm response. Oh, mom's not dressed or, oh, and not make it a don't yeah. look at me type of thing. Right. Right. And, and that's also where you can kind of teach boundaries too, because it's kind of the thing of make sure you always knock. Yeah. You know, or, you know, make sure you, you know, close the door or, you know, if the door's closed, don't come in, you know, yes. knock first. I mean, that's also where you can teach boundaries because again, you've got such a range of personalities with these kids that, that some kids don't know that they're allowed to have boundaries. Some right. kids don't know that they're allowed to, to not be seen naked when they're a little right. more squeamish about it than, than your other son is. Right. So, you kind of got to model healthy boundaries, especially to kids. Well, to all of, uh, to all of your kids, they yeah. just all need to kind of understand what that looks like as well. That's interesting. Cause I, cause we do have four boys. And so they're always like in the shower together in the bath, like they don't care, yep. but yep. it is interesting that sometimes some of them will break off. Like, I think I want to do this by myself now. Yep. Whereas my 12 year old still like, well, I don't care. But like my seven year old will be like, I'm now taking my old shower. So yep. it's like each of them kind of are perfect. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what good parenting is, is noticing those things and being attentive to that and addressing those in, in unique ways. And teaching Same with how you teach them. Yes. You know? So let's talk about, it, it, it hasn't happened to us yet, but I know it's happened to family members and friends and people that talk about like the most embarrassing thing. Like what do you do if your kids walk in on you having sex or getting ready for sex or seeing 
their dad or something, you know, like in that state accidentally. Yep. yep. How do you address that after? Yep. It's it's all about what we already said. The calm response is number one. Okay. Number two is find a time at some point to readdress it and usually not right then. Okay. Usually they are too shocked or taken off guard or whatever for you to immediately respond to it or for them to honestly respond to it. And so this almost becomes one of those, one of those, like, uh, one of the best times to talk to your kids is as they're going to sleep at night when they're, they're in bed, lights are off. And that was always the time that, that especially kids that weren't, weren't otherwise as talkative could be a little bit more open with questions. Totally. Oh, my so, kids come up with the most deepest questions of their life, yeah. right? When I'm about ready to put them to and sleep. And you're so tired, right? Yes. Uh, parent, good parenting, Carmen, is not for the faint of heart. It's true. I've said this before. Anybody can be a crappy parent, but to be a really good one takes a lot of effort. It's true. <laughs> it's so true. Yep. But, but in that moment then, so, so even like the conversation you had or the exa example you gave earlier, you would, you know, later on that night, or if you feel like it's a little still weird still, you wait a week later or even a month later and you come back and you say, remember when you, when you accidentally stumbled into us, you know, just being yeah. in bed together or being, you know, whatever the word is that fits yes. for, that, for that kid. Um, was that, you know, what did you think about that? Or, and it's open-ended questions is your okay. other thing. So you calm, calm response. Number one, okay. follow up later. Number two, okay. and ask just simple open-ended questions. No big deal. Keep it calm, casual, as if it was like the boringest thing that ever happened. Okay. Is it, if that does happen, it, is your child going to be more at risk for what was that? I need to, you know what I mean? Like, is they it, might be. they might be, and they might not be, they might not even know what you were doing. Okay. They, I mean, it just totally depends on the age of the child and the personality of the child and the, and the sensitivity of the child, to be honest. Yes. But, but you don't know that until you check in. Okay. I mean, it, it's like I was just actually listening to my my own book just kind of as I was getting ready for this. And, and it just reminded me of a story of a young boy who, you know, had kind of, you know, gone to talk to his his dad about something and the dad rebuffed him. And the, the boy silently made this kind of pact with himself that he would never open up to his dad again until his dad kind of came back to fix that. Oh, interesting. And of course, the dad had zero clue that right. anything even occurred. Right. So this boy went on to develop this rebellious, I'm, I hate you, dad, kind of a mindset because of that one little experience. And I, I don't want to traumatize parents because we all worry about this stuff already. Yeah. But, but it's the kind of thing where you just need to try to be thorough at checking back in. It's why one of the steps I have in my book also is having one-on-one -on -one time and personal parent interviews because it's, it's, or, or these nighttime little conversations. It's yes. kind of like couple time that I talk right. about for couples. You might need a little bit of pillow talk time with your kids too, because there are just certain things that kids would never talk about during the day. They would talk about during that nighttime conversation. It's, to it's totally true. And I've seen that in my kids and in their lives. So, and, and it is, and it's obvious, like you said, we're like our most tired, but every time I'm like, suck it up, mom, listen to what they have to say. I'm so glad that I do because so some of our greatest conversations and things that I'm like, 
I had I, no idea you were worried about that. I had no right. idea that was on your mind. And right. we do goods and bads at dinner every night, goods and bads, cool. what are good things, bad things. And they'll open up, but never like they do when they're, you know, in bed at night. And I'm like, yeah. I gave you opportunity to talk about this earlier. And they're like, no, nope, it had to be like the right time. And my pediatrician yeah. said that kids process their days as they're in bed at night. So yeah. even things that they forgot about that happened will suddenly come to their mind and they'll be like, oh yeah, actually I did want to say something to you about this. Yeah. So how, so again, with, and with Carmen, just, before you go yes. on, that, on that real quick, yes. that's what REM sleep is for just to kind of carry you from your, your children are going to sleep. They're processing their day. That's also what REM sleep is for. When okay. rapid eye movement is when your body and mind processes emotions or experiences and things like that. And so that's why when kids don't get a good night's sleep, they're, it's not good. It's not good for them. They, they are not processing and that's what causes a lot of anxiety. Oh, that's interesting. So how can you encourage kids to get that kind of sleep? Like how can you help? They already them? will. I, I'm just making a point of, in general, they already will. I'm just making okay. a point of how important sleep is, um, you know, and that's, and that's little things like, you know, having good um, kind of set bedtime schedules yeah. and, and set wake up schedules. Those are just setting good, healthy sleep habits and helping them relax before if they feel yep. like, Oh, my mind is clear. So I'm okay yep. to go to sleep. Yeah. It's why it's good to, you know, a lot of times it's good for us to read, read a book to a, a kid as they're going to sleep because it helps them to slow down yes. and, and calm down. And that's really important because, you know, your kids, go to college and right. and if they don't learn healthy sleep habits at home, they kind of don't get them at college and that's when they need them the most. Totally. So, so you're thinking through all that. Right. right. So, so let's go through that. that. So now that the voice or my voice is going on, they're getting older and we're kind of, you know, talking them through everything and this is healthy. What do we do if they're like, okay, I'm having these feelings right. and, and, and I do get excited when I see girls and, and, mm -hmm. and it's a good thing. And, and we've told our boys, like, if you think a girl's beautiful or, or you get excited, that's a good thing. That's, yeah. that's not bad. That's good. Yeah. But, but what about when they're like, okay, well then how do I, let's go back into that harnessing and restraint. Yeah. That bridling their passions. So then it doesn't become, well, I'm going to act on it either with myself or with another girl or get into trouble. Yep. How do they start to learn? Oh, but it, but this isn't maybe the right time. Not right now. How do you start right. teaching that bridling? Right. And you, you started it off just perfect right there as it is, but it kind of goes back to our experience about the, about what we said about, um, when a child starts to notice mom in the shower, that's kind of a similar experience for ours or kids get older, where you can kind of say, if it starts becoming almost too, uh, too much, like it, you find yourself really kind of being almost, almost obsessive about it a little yeah. bit, then, then that's when you're teaching your kids self-mastery tools. You're teaching them things like, so this is where you might want to distract yourself. You might want to get up and go get a drink of water. You might want to go play a game with your brother. You might want to do, <clears throat> and it's just kind of any of these tools of, you know, you're, you're basically trying to teach mental mastery. And then self-mastery. And so a lot of the reasons, you know, I talk about this in my book as well, but what, a lot of the reasons that kids get into trouble is sometimes they've got unmet emotional needs. Sometimes they just have developed bad habits because they're allowed to be on their phone 
all hours of all days and all whatevers. And so, and parents now, uh, thankfully, I raised my kids a little bit before oh all of this crap. It's so hard, so Laura. Hard. It really is. Uh-huh. So hard. And so parents have to, unfortunately, be a little bit more on their A-game about phones and boundaries around phones and and media and even the music. I mean, you just, because otherwise you're just feeding sexual stimuli into all the, the time. Kid all the time. Yes. And, and so you're teaching them, you're not just restraining it yourself, you're teaching them. It's the same with spiritual development. I was always a bigger fan of teaching my kids to get into the scriptures, to read the scriptures, to say their prayers, to talk to the Lord, to develop a personal relationship. I was more interested than that, even than if we did family scripture study. I because love that. it's more about the personal relationship, individual and personal yes. skills than it is about this family almost feels overbearing and strict and out of character. It, yes. Especially when you've got like eight different kids or two different kids or whatever. Right. right. And so you're teaching that kind of in these one-on-one kind of, okay, Johnny, for you, you know, you do need to kind of, we need to ve- develop some, some tools. What are we going to do when you feel like you're just thinking about it a lot? Yep. And you're, you're starting back to what you said earlier about, this is wonderful. I'm, I'm, this is how God made young, made boys and made girls. They like each other and they want to get married and they want to be intimate with each other, depending on the age of your kid. Yes. You know? And so you're positively affirming all the time. Okay. Genuinely, hopefully. Yes. And then teaching skills around self-mastery, self-regulation, emotional regulation, mental develop- discipline. Yes. Just teaching those little skills as you're going along. And then when these boys become men, they'll have this tool set of, oh, I've done this before. I've restrained, I've bridled, like I know how to do that. And so there's not this mentality of, oh, well, when I'm married, it's a free for all. Like I've waited my whole life. Right. I've restrained. You're saying, no, this continues on in marriage. Yeah. And it's kind of what I teach in my third book that we didn't mention, but from Honeymoon to Happily Ever After, where I talked to talk to the young people, you know, preparing for marriage and say, listen, I mean, the, this law of chastity, the Lord came up with, that wasn't just to get people married in the temple, right? That was because you need those same skills within a healthy, sexually fulfilling, mutually sexually fulfilling sexual relationship. It's a extraordinary marriage skill. Because if, again, now we're back to, you know, sexual wholeness for men and sexual wholeness for women. Yes. If men don't have that ability to kind of bridle and master that, if they've even got the mindset of, oh my gosh, I'm finally married. It's a sexual free for all. We're in trouble. Yes. Yes. We're in trouble already. So that, that is very much a part. God was so wise in, in the whole way that he set up that the law of chastity and sexual purity, because it's part of sexual wholeness within marriage as well. And it's so beautiful. It, yes. it, it really is like when you, and, and I, I talked to you before, like, oh, it's such a cruel joke. Like girls are one way and boys are the other. But really when, when you think about it, it, it makes sense together. It they totally do. And yeah. can you imagine if we were both like teenage boys no. when we were younger, or no. both like women when we were married? No. Like I'm never into it. It no. wouldn't work. Would not work. And it and if, if people stop and think about it for just a moment without being funny, because it's usually one of my little facetious jokes with couples, because yeah. it's like, why can't we be the same? Right. It, it just it doesn't make sense to be right. the same. 
And, and, you know, and so it's a really important thing. And, and, and that's an important concept just with, you know, modesty conversations and stuff, you know, we kind of get a little off track with even the modesty conversation because we forget that boys and girls are different. Right. You have to be mindful of the fact that boys and girls are different and they think differently about things and they obsess differently about things. Yes. So you've got to be mindful of that and put some responsibility on both sides. Do not put it on just one. Yes. Whoever you're talking to, you kind of got to put all the responsibility on that person because it's the only person you have access to. Right. The only person you can you can change. Right. Um, so that's, that's an important concept as well. I'm glad you said that. And, and, and I'm glad that you said it's, it's not either. It's, it's not my fault for dressing immodestly, tempting a boy when I'm younger. It's not his fault for having the raging hormones. And that's all he can think about. It's yep. we're both responsible. But right. like you said, it takes one person. To, I, I'm so glad you said that it takes one person to change the marriage. Yep. Not to like, if I'm willing to change and I'm willing to focus more on him and the marriage will be different simply because I am making an effort and yeah. I am doing something different. Yeah. Yeah. Because think about it, going back to kind of the sexual wholeness for, for men is if a wife does develop this, you know, sexual development, sexual wholeness, and she does start approaching her husband with, I want you sex. And instead of duty sex, then yes. what he's in a perfect position to say, what can I do to be a better husband, which right. then sets him up for things like that emotional context, the emotional environment that we need that fuels our psychological testosterone. Right. And so it, it, it becomes this, you know, it's a system, it's a living system that one part of it changes the other part of it, you know, and maybe I'll just kind of skip back for just a quick second to some of those other points for men, just while we're thinking of it. But you know, that step one is to process out some of the garbage that yep. would be step one for them. Step two is I, I like to, to kind of, even though men know that the overarching concept is bridling and harnessing and sexual self-mastery, it is a little hard to figure out the how-tos of that. Yeah. So I direct them to a, 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 some information I put together called my seven steps of spiritual surrender. And it just kind of walks men through what that surrendering and turning your life and your will and you know, over to the Lord and partnering with the Lord to do for you what you are not, what, what we technically are just not able to do for ourselves. We're, we're basically, I mean, as a man, I'm asking the Lord to, to step in and partner with me because my natural man is pretty strong. Yeah. Uh, same with us women, you yeah. know? And so if we don't add God in as an element of that, you're, you're really left to your own devices and it's not going to be enough. And so that, that's kind of one of my things. And I've got a handout specifically for that, where I have men that read that every single day, just to get it. We can, and they can get that on my website, maritalintimacyinstitute.com. It's on my resource page, seven steps of spiritual surrender. They can just type spiritual surrender and find it. Perfect. Um, But that really is a big key of how do I step into kind of my whole self my, yes. my, my, my stronger sense of self, um, 
and and partner with God to do that. So that's kind of my that's kind of my step two is okay. you know is work on that kind of thing. Yes. Step three is this is a really important one too. Men often are operating from kind of a sexual deficit mode. Yeah, they're kind of working from a I never get this and she'll never do that and never get the da, 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 da. and so they've got to reprogram their brain kind of like with us where we're feeding our mind kind of sexual romantic feelings thoughts and feelings so we kind of have a little bit easier access to them that's why yeah. chick flicks are so great right they just give us a little bit more of that oh yummy yep. feeling for men they almost have to do kind of a little bit of the opposite where like in fact a client just last week i said okay so i want you to start writing down five things that you like love or appreciate specifically about your wife intimately and sexually why because their brain is operating too much in ungrateful deficit mode it's never enough she, it's now and and for men there's the, the sky really is kind of the limit and so if they don't kind of master that they don't have some kind of a feeling of of, of harnessing around that right. a woman does feel like she's just never gonna get there yes. never gonna be enough and so he has to kind of build some some change around that and so when he learns to see his wife in a oh i'm so grateful that she was so involved last night and i'm so grateful that she wore lingerie the other day and i'm so grateful that she kind of initiated and i'm so grateful that she let me give her a back rub this is the kind of stuff i'm asking men to train their brain into sometimes not even sharing it with their wives because oh. sometimes it's pressure on the wife oh He's yeah oh yeah Oh, well, you wish I do this more. Well, and yep. I will. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Got it. And so for, if for initially the first step is I want you to just train your own brain to okay. do this better. So that's kind of my step three for them is, is working on, you know, just developing more love and appreciation and, and just real, uh, a sense of, of gratitude and fullness and gratefulness about all of the good things their wives are probably already doing, but they're just right. not paying attention. Okay. okay. And then fourth, the fourth thing we kind of talked about with the spiritual surrender, but it's developing this more personal relationship with the Lord. And I have a handout also on marital intimacy Institute, it, how to do that. And a couple of steps for that is having just a little bit more constant con conscious contact with the Lord. That's things a little bit like, like one of the examples I give there is, is, uh, you know, just to honor random basis when you think of the lord you say something to yourself like i'm listening i'm listening i'm listening and it just again just kind of connects you it's not like a prayer yes it's just, yes i'm listening or what would you have me do what would you have me learn here heavenly father i need thee oh i need thee there's it's a bunch of phrases that just kind of help them get a little bit more of a conscious contact. This is also written conversations with the Lord that we talked about before we started recording, but yeah. just having ongoing conversations because you make the Lord so much more personal and real and like a real person when you conversate with them in writing because it makes it tangible. And so that increases it. And a third step for, for men to connect is even just, um, little bit little bit of meditation little five minutes of meditation where you're just kind of communing with the lord differently than we tend to do even during prayer oh. you know so those are a couple little steps that move men into a partnership with the lord so that they're able to master this natural man and bridle these passions that that 
left to our own devices with all the porn going on and all the sexual stimulation going on and all of the unhealthy sexual development that a lot of husbands have developed, they're going to need God's help to be able to succeed. I'm so glad that you first mentioned that relationship that, that not once did you say the first thing you're going to do is do this with your wife. It's all about, no, the first thing you do is you turn to the Lord because he really is involved in, in everything. And when our relationship with him is wonderful and we feel strong with him and we have his help, then our relationship with our spouse and our children and everyone else around us is better too. And, and I found that when I, um, if I'm feeling angry or frustrated with my spouse and I will pray. And I I think I talked to you about this last episode. I'm not feeling very much love towards him right now, but let me feel thy love for him. Right. It's like instant, like here's how much I love your spouse. And when I can feel how much he loves my husband, then my love for him is so much more. And that goes for the same with husbands and wives. Like I'm upset with her and I feel like she's depriving me and this is supposed to be of God and we're supposed to do this. And maybe she does have problems and she's not giving it as much, but when he can feel heavenly father's love for her, then he can be compassionate towards her and be patient. And it maybe makes the waiting a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cute. I mean, one of my, I I have these little sexy challenges on my uh, social media. Yes. I love those sexy challenges. And I took them by the way, last month. (laughs) Good. But the one that I have for men right now is three S's. Say no to duty sex, stay a self-regulate, which we've been talking about, yes. and stay engaged emotionally. And so this is part of what we've just been talking about is that yep. when a man will just take the cheap duty sex all the time because he's acting because he's like feels like he's in a sexual desert, right? Then then he doesn't develop that that self that strong sense of self and that sexual wholeness that he, that he needs. And he keeps training his wife that, that he'll take that cheap kind. And then, so she never, you know, she she just stays stuck. Yeah. Yes. She can't ever get, but, but if a man, and in fact, one of them, a bunch of them messaged me, but one of them said, you know, um, so, you know, how, how, how long do I have to go without how long yeah. do I have to say no? What are you, how long are you saying? <laughs> how long do I have to do this? But it's not so much about that. It's just the ability to, to start to teach your wife that you are going to be okay while you are not getting sex, when and, you are saying no to it. And so often when I know that he's like, we don't have to, I'm like, well, now I'm in the mood because you said you, you we don't have to. It's even that comment of, I will wait for you. Like, I don't want it if you don't. I'm like, well, now I do. That was so sweet. And so men, like if you're listening, even just saying that gets us in the mood a lot of times because it's the fact that we know that you are willing to wait for us and that's sexy. Yeah. And the principle behind that, Carmen, is agency. Anytime anyone is messing with our agency or trying to usurp our agency, we're going to resist and be defensive. The minute we, this is why the concept of surrender is so, when you live in a state of surrender where you ask for something, but you totally don't need it. Yeah. That's that concept of, you know, hey, honey, would you, I'd love to be intimate tonight, but I'm totally good if you don't want to. That's why the other person is then able to say yes. That's yes. why I made this a sexy challenge for men so is true. because I'm teaching them how to do that little behavior that, again, we're going to need over 
most women, it's not going to be the first time they say no to it, that they're going to be in the mood. Yeah. You've already got a good relationship and you've got some good development around that. Yeah. But a lot of them are going to be like, what's up? Why yeah. are you saying no? Why are you what, saying that? Yeah. What, what's going on? And they're going to be all kind of negative about it. That's yeah. Not going to be a positive. Yeah. So that's why, because they're used to the them just being grouchy and grumpy, which is why I have the other two S's. You've got to self-regulate so that you're not, you know, going into your deprivation mode right. and you've got to stay emotionally engaged so that she can feel like she can choose. And when you say emotionally engaged, what does that look like? Okay. So emotionally engaged. So if I'm the guy and my wife comes to me, comes to me and says, oh, it's probably, it's been a while. We could, we could have sex tonight if you want, but you kind of can feel it's not like I, I just need to get warmed up. It's different if she says, Hey, I'm not really in the mood. It's been a while, but, it, but if you talk and touch me into it, we can do it. Yeah. You know, cause that's kind of like, even how I'll talk to my husband. Yeah. I know that I'm not in the mood right now, but I absolutely know I can get in the mood. Yes. Right. That's, that's a, that's a sexually developed sexual wholeness, you know, concept. Right. There. Um, but if the husband, you know, gets that kind of a response from the wife and says, you know what, honey, I'm good. No, we're good. We can wait. You know, it might be better on the weekend anyway. And, 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 you know, so there's the no, say no to duty sex, self-regulate. So instead of going into pouty or self, self-pity or any of the places that a husband might naturally go, does she know it's been three weeks? Right. Does she know it's been a whole day, you know, whatever right. it is. She, he has to self-regulate there. And then that stay connected is he doesn't just like slink away and avoid her. He yeah. stays present. And he's like, hey, do you want to watch a show? Hey, do you want to read this book? Hey, do you want to, what, 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 what sounds fun to you? Or, hey, we, we should do this thing that you were talking about yesterday. And that's what emotionally engaged looks like. I'm awesome. still here. Yes, I'm still here. And I'm still... I still care about you and I'm interested in you and, and want you and want to hold you and hug you and touch you without, without those strings. Attached. I don't need that, anything. That takes time and practice to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, 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 you know, and couples can get there. I mean, this is, this is why I'm so passionate about what I do is that I know that everything I teach is doable. Yeah. I just also know it's sort of dang hard sometimes and it does yes. take time. And, and so I, I do get that. And we are almost out of time, but I had one quick question to ask you before we go. We read the five love languages for our book club last week. Yeah. And I'm interested to know what your take is on that because in in his book, and I, as I was reading it, I had your, your voice going in my head and he was kind of saying um, a wife was trying to love her husband that wasn't responsive and maybe his love language is physical touch, but she didn't want to. And it was kind of like, do it anyway, yep. love him anyway. And I was like, I wonder what Laura would say about that. If so, what if you are in a relationship where your husband's love language is physical touch 100% and you're like, but I can't do that. Do you suck it up and do it anyway in, in the name of love? Or do you practice all these things that you said and say, okay, but, but that isn't, that would be too hard for me that to, to give that and to do, and then I would feel more empty. Because that almost seems like contradictory. Like totally. if his book really goes along with what you're teaching. It, it, it does, but it doesn't given the way you're asking the question. Yeah. It's perfect because the answer is yes and no. No, you don't just do it out of duty because otherwise you're having duty sex for your whole life. 
That's you, you can't do that and just do it just to do it. This is basically my story that you're asking, Carmen. I mean, I find out that I've got a husband that his primary way of feeling loved is, is physical touch. I thought I kind of knew that, had it figured out. I mean, I studied this in college yeah. before I even got married, but I didn't have it down, the stuff that I now teach. And so I decided because I love my husband, I'm going to do that second option you just mentioned, which is do all of these these pieces and develop that sexual wholeness, that that part of my pie that was undeveloped I chose to develop that part of the pie so that now my husband and I can have genuine, connected, sextraordinary sex, not duty sex, not charity sex, not obligatory sex. Yes. So it, it's it's doing this process of sexual wholeness for, for women and couples. I love it. And so right? first, yes, totally makes sense that developing yourself first in order to give your husband yeah. that love language, the physical touch, but, but not just for the sake of giving it, but so you can be a part of it and enjoy it too. Cause then you're both in it together. And then it's this extraordinary marriage. Yes. Both participating together. And a quick thought just on that, uh, back to the divine purposes of marriage, uh, it, you know, and if you still want to want me to just throw real quick, the sexual wholeness for singles in here, but yes. um, the, the, the divine, the concept of the five love languages, I think you've got to plan on whatever your spouse needs the most is going to be hard for you. You've got to plan on that. Okay. Interesting. So, so don't, don't think that that's going to be easy for you. Okay. That's part of why you two attracted each other is because what I needed for my wholeness was exactly what my husband needed from me that I wouldn't have developed without being together. Oh, that's interesting to think of it that way. Yeah. Yep. And that's what you need to know about the five love languages. Otherwise it'll just be duty. It's, it's like, it, it's, it'll be duty love. Just like totally. Duty in any so language. It's not going to work. It doesn't matter what language is. If you aren't choosing in fully, freely, genuinely from your own agency, it's not going to work anyway. I love that. Have you um, read the book, The Surrendered Wife? Yeah. Or heard of that? And yeah. what are your thoughts on it's that? Been a while. It's been a while. I mean, I, I love the concept of surrender. I it, It's been a while, so I don't remember all the details of it. But, uh, you know, obviously, I love the concept of surrender. Yes. Only if it's in the context of sexual wholeness. Okay. I, I don't think women should just say yes to sex. I don't. You know why? Because it gives men the cheap kind of sex. They don't want. And they yes. don't want that. It goes back That's to not what they want. They, right. They want, I want you sex. So a surrendered wife just that says yes, because she's supposed to, it's not going to get us where we need to go. So true. And it's true because we can't, we can't, we can't be there emotionally and mentally if we're no. always just, well, this and is if we're not choosing it. And if, if we're, we're not, not choosing it, if it's not our agency. Yeah. Oh, again, Laura, I could talk to you for hours and hours. I'm like, oh my goodness. I have still have. I know you need to go. I know. Should I, let me give you these four little points really yes. quickly. And then if people want to think more about it, but it, it is kind of, you know, a lot from, from this book, the, from honeymoon to happily ever after Yes. four little things for sexual wholeness for singles Yes. for people that, that aren't married yet. And yep. who knows when they're going to get married. It's, it's M E T B met B met it's mindful the mindset of a healthy, casual, confident mindset around sex, positive, affirming. They've got to develop that mindset. Obviously they can do that with reading books, listening to my podcast, listening to this. So you're developing a healthy mindset. 
Number two, educated. Get educated, develop knowledge. That's again, learning, you know, from these good sources so that you've got positive stuff in there where nobody else has put it in there. Yes. You yeah. might have to put it in yourself. Okay. And, and knowledge is power. So when you learn things, you actually develop confidence around it. Yeah. And it makes it less squeamish for you. Yeah. So kind of like where you're, you're reading the Knowing Her Intimately book again, it just gives you confidence. You're like, oh, I get it now. And oh, that makes sense now yes so that's number two number three develop the ability to talk about sex and I literally mean I like like this is usually our young adults and this is things like you know my daughter and her roommates would did a book club with the knowing her intimately book oh, where I, they read it and then talked fact, about I, it. in fact after this love language book I said I'm I host next book club and I'm like oh no now we're reading we're yep. reading another one this time yep. so I'm so yep. excited to do that yeah because <laughs> if you don't have an opportunity to actually practice talking about it that's yes. going to be a problem yes you're not going to be able to talk about it with your with your spouse right and so you're going to have to create opportunities to talk about it whether it's you know putting in a good word for sex just anytime you can yes or whether it's actually seeking out a conversation with your parents or with your mom your dad a married sister a brother, yeah. you know, develop the ability to talk. That's number three. Number four, develop healthy boundaries around your sexuality. Boundaries. Okay. Now you're in the thick of this, the, the, the sexuality, the making out, the kissing, yep. you know, dating, you're engaged, you're whatever. Yep. If you don't set those healthy boundaries, again, it's just an extension from what you already, hopefully were doing as you were developing healthy as a kid. Yep. You're now being very specific around, okay, when I kiss you more than seven times, I had a, a client say this to me, when I start kissing, in fact, any, you know, single, divorce, uh, second marriage, yes. says, if I start kissing her more than a, this amount of time, I start to get too aroused and I just can't do it. And I said, okay, that's where you need boundaries. You yep. figure out where you've got to go and you backtrack a bit and say, okay, we need to set a boundary here. For, for my purposes, unfortunately, or fortunately. And then you just do that to together. Why? Because we love the Lord and we want to keep his commandments. That's why. And then we'll be so much happier in our marriage and so much happier sexually in right. our marriage. It will be, there'll be happy gifts for us when right. we involve him and, and have him and, and stay close to him. Then he yeah. wants to be a part of that relationship. Yeah. And righteousness is always a blessing. You know, yes. anytime, you know, and obviously we make mistakes and we get to repent every single day. We're supposed yep. to be repenting anyway, but yeah. that, there's a, there's a lot of blessing around righteousness, but it's, it's, but that, but we need these other things, the mindset, the education, the ability to talk about it without that it's, you can't just go into marriage and get married well in the temple and have sex all figure itself out. No. It's a little more complicated than that. It totally is. And, and I am so grateful for you that, and, and, and other sex therapists that are taking this on and saying, yeah. here's how, cause this is a, a ginormous part of marriage. And when yeah. people say, well, sex isn't everything. No, it's not, but it's a huge foundation. It, it, it's a huge thing. And my niece is getting married in a month and I have her book, that I'm gonna, your book that I'm going to give her, The Honeymoon to Happily Ever After. And I'm so excited for it and thinking, I wish that I had that when I got married. I know. And it's the only thing, it's the only thing like it. That's it's the only thing. It's or... different than any other marriage book out there. It's, I mean, I would recommend it to anyone that is thinking about getting married, that are, that's engaged, that's dating. It is or so helpful. Married. 
already married or already married yeah. or in newlyweds it's newlyweds. so important yes so tell us again where people can go to find that book where people can go to find the resources that you talked about for sexual wholeness for men and women and that like once more the sexual wholeness course where people can go yeah for sure so my main website is strengtheningmarriage.com my where where most of my kind of counseling client resources are are is on maritalintimacyinstitute.com on my resource page. And that's where they can get all of these, you know, seven steps of spiritual surrender, um, first steps of bridling and sexual self-mastery. There's all these different resources there. And of course, and all of my books are on strengtheningmarriage.com. And then of course my sexual wholeness for women (coughs) course, sexual wholeness for women online course at strengtheningmarriage.com. Just a great way for couple, for women to, <coughs> Sorry, I got a tickle in my throat. Oh, that's fine. Um, be able to, you know, really step into their sexual wholeness. Perfect. Thank you so much, Lara, once again, for taking the time to come on my podcast and for all the good that you are doing. You betcha. Love, love, love it. Good luck to everybody and go create their own sex extraordinary marriage. Yes, let's do it. Thanks, Lara. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family. From full leg talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.